we doing, familia? It's very good. Uh, look, I, I thought the worship was amazing, wasn't it? It was so amazing that I'm going to preach 41 verses this morning. I'm that excited. Before we start, let me ask you a question, and I want you to listen to the question really well. Meditate upon it, and then answer it. This is the question. Can you think of a time where you experience an extravagant act of love? I know you're struggling, right? Well, let me give you a definition of that. All right, let me give you a definition of the word extravagant. So it helps you in the process. An extravagant act of love is something that is over generous, excessive, exaggerated, and wasteful. Got it? Over generous, excessive, exaggerated, and wasteful. That's what the word extravagant means. Mean, meaning then, that if love is extravagant, it's an act of love in which a person or you were over generous, excessive, exaggerated, or, or wasteful. So here's the question again. Can you think of a time when you experience an extravagant act of love? I'll give you three seconds. <laughs> you know what? Look at, look at, you, you probably agree with me on this, but if you remember one occasion like that, I am sure that you remember something, someone doing something really crazy for you. Giving you something that you never thought that person would give you. Or, even better, giving up something because he or she loves you so much. Well, if that's the definition, I actually believe that that's the, the true definition of love. I don't think there's any other definition of love but that. The reason why I picked the word extravagant is because the word extravagant explains what the word love is. Look, I don't mean to be mean, but if you have that definition of love, then it puts everything in perspective. It puts romantic relationships in perspective. Because if someone is, uh, has an extravagant love for you, you will notice then that there's a difference between being romantic and being in love. I actually believe that you could be romantic and yet not love the person. You could buy flowers, you could take them to the movies, you could go down, whatever you do. That doesn't mean that you're in love. The test of love is when someone is willing to give a lot, generously, wastefully, or to give up a lot. So look, I don't know if you're in a relationship right now. But after this definition, you probably are going to be in trouble. <laughs> she's going to look at you. You don't love me like that. <laughs> well, well hold, it, hold it a second because then I'm going to say, well, don't, don't, don't look at the person next to you. You yourself, do you love like that? It also gives us a different perspective in terms of friendships. You know, we live in a season that everyone talks about friends. That's why social media is so popular. That's why the, the sitcom friendship, uh, Friends lasted for 10 years as number one show in the entire country. 10 years. 
But there's a difference between knowing somebody and having a friend that loves you with extravagant love. At the same time, he puts in perspective what it means for us to say that we love God and for us to understand that God loves us. Now, this morning, I want to spend 42 verses on that topic. Well, actually, I'm not going to talk about all 42 verses. I'm going to talk about five or six of them. But the idea is that in this text, you find five different things very important. And I'm going to pick three of them. You find... This lady that comes to Jesus with a, with a jar and she breaks it and he has an amazing perfume. Remember that story? We have how Judas betrayed Jesus. We have the Last Supper. We have Paul, uh, Paul not Peter, um, saying that he never denied Jesus. And we got Jesus at Gethsemane. Five very important events in which I'm only going to pick three or four of those. What I want us to see this morning is that extravagant love was the common theme among these people. Mary had an extravagant love, which is the lady of the perfume. I'll explain that in a second. Judas had an extravagant love, and Jesus had an extravagant love. In Mary, we are going to see what it means to love Jesus. So with that, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make you feel guilty. Uh, we're going to see Jesus, uh, Judas, and you're going to see that what it means to love ourselves. And we're gonna, I am going to try to continue to make you feel guilty. But then at the end, we're going to see the extravagant love of Jesus. And you're going to see how much God loves you. And that is going to take your guilt away, and it's going to give you freedom. The extravagant love of Mary, the extravagant love of Judas, and the extravagant, extravagant love of Jesus. Can you please say with me the phrase extravagant love? Let's look at Mary first. So let me give you a little bit of context here. This is Jesus last week before he goes to the cross. This is actually Wednesday and Thursday before the cross. We know that uh, this happened, this event happened two days before the Passover, which was on Friday. Meaning, what is interesting about the Gospel of Mark is that for the first 13 chapters or so, it, it, it is very general. But when it comes to the last week of Jesus, it pays a lot of attention and little details. Well, here we find Mary doing this amazing thing toward a person that nobody else thought that he was amazing. So we're going to pick it up on verse 3. While he was in Bethany... Reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Verse 4. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Verse 6. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. So what do we learn about Mary? Well, first of all, that, that person is Mary. Most scholars would agree that this is Mary, Lazarus, and Martha's sister. We know that this is the same Mary that in Luke chapter 10 was found listening to Jesus' teachings at his feet. 
what Martha was serving everybody else. It's the same Mary that we find seeing Jesus cry or weep over Lazarus' death. It's the same Mary that we see seeing Jesus conquering the ultimate enemy, death, resuscitating her brother. It is the same Mary that we find here. Breaking her most valuable thing for Jesus. So if there's two things that you want to learn about this lady, number one is that every time we see her, we see it on Jesus' feet. Interesting, because if you know a little bit about the context and the culture of these people, sitting at someone's feet was the most humiliating thing there, there was. Which gives you a perspective on when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Which means that Mary cared very, very little about her reputation and what people thought of her. And the second thing that we learn about this lady is that she's willing to give it all for Jesus. How do I know that? Because of the perfume. The text says that it was an expensive perfume. It was worth one year's salary. It was made of pure nard, means exquisite and rare. This perfume was not all spice. How many of you guys were, oh, no, no, no. How many, likes, how many of you guys like perfume, girls or ladies? What about the guys, like colognes? All right, all spice was my first cologne in America. So I remember, you know, take a shower, doing it salad, because, you know, I'm supposed to get romantic. Go to my wife, and my wife, oom. What's the smell? What do you mean, what's the smell? I took a shower. I just did. Mm. Take a shower again. This perfume, nothing like that. Expensive. Rare. Exquisite. How did she get it? Well, once again, most scholars will tell you that this lady did not buy that perfume. We know that she did not buy that perfume because the Bible does not show us that she was part of the high-class people, the, the people with money, if you will. She was a common lady, working-class lady, that would have never afforded that could never afford something like that. Which then means, as most scholars would say, that she probably inherited this. Either she inherited from her parents, or her grandparents, or her great-grandparents, but it was given to her as a financial future, financial security. And not only was good for future financial security... But it also had emotional value. So here we have a lady with such an expensive, rare, exquisite, and emotional charge item. Breaking a jar. That means she did not keep anything back. Broke it and put it on Jesus' head. She gave Jesus... Her most valuable item. You, you got to ask, why? 
Listen to me. Because he was better. Because he was worth it. Because there was nothing better than Jesus. Because for her, she had found in him something that could not be compared to this amazing perfume. Here I could give you a list of things. See, she found in Jesus a better person. She found in Jesus' words, better words, needed words. She found in Jesus not only a miracle maker, but a friend. She found in Jesus someone that hurt when she hurts. She found in Jesus someone so powerful that could defeat death. She found in Jesus someone so amazing that nothing can be compared to him. Not only her most valuable thing, in other words, Jesus became the perfume that replaced all other perfumes. Jesus became her ultimate treasure. That's extravagant love. That's what it means for us to have an extravagant love for Jesus, isn't it? The value we assign to him will determine what we are willing to give or, or give up for him. Let me say it again. The value we assign to him will determine what are we willing to give or to give up for him. So let me give you an illustration. I don't know if I used it here before, but if I did, I'm sorry. I'm going to use it again. There was once a man that was walking home. And he passed by this garbage dump. And from the distance, he noticed this little rock that is shiny. And he goes over there and grabs the rock, and it looks amazing, and it's so beautiful. He goes to a jeweler and says, look at what I found. Can you tell me how much it's worth? And the guy says, where'd you get it from? Well, first tell me how much it is, and I'll tell you where I got it from. All right. Uh, well, I think it is, where'd you get it from? says, well, uh, tell me how much it is, and I'll tell you where I got it from. I'll give you $1,000 for it. No, 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 I just want to know what it is. All right, 5000 No, no, please, tell me what it is. $20,000 final offer, go. says, no, give me my rock. He goes to a different jeweler. Can you tell me what this is? And he says, this is a rare rock. It's worth millions. Nothing can be compared to it. He grabs that rug, he goes home, knocks on the door, honey! Yes? I'm going to sell the house! What? Yeah, I'm the dog! Are you crazy? Like every other wife would say. Are you crazy? I'm going to buy a garbage dump. You know why he did that? Because what he found had much more value than his house, his dog, and anything else he possessed. 
the value we assign to him will determine how much we're willing to give or give up for him. Now, you've got to be asking, can we do that? And I'll say, depends. Depends on two things. Depends on how well you understand the struggles of your inner heart, of your inner being, your heart. And depends how much you understand and believe what Jesus did for you. The only way a Christian or a believer could actually do this is when he or she understands the inner struggle in our heart and how much we understand and believe what Jesus did for us. There's nothing else that will move us, move us in that direction. So for the struggles in our inner heart, in our, in our inner being or in our heart, I want you to look at the extravagant love of Judas. Because Judas was an extravagant lover. See, every time we talk about Judas, we say that he must be, or he's, he would always be, the most awful person in the history of Christianity. He sold Jesus for 30 coins of silver. He betrayed our Savior. But before we go so harsh on him, and we love, I want to tell you that you and I, we all have a bit of Jesus, a bit of Judas in our heart. See, when we call ourselves sinners, that's not a compliment. We could do this. We have the potential to do the same thing. So the question is not, all not to be whether or not we have the potential to do that. But a question might be something different, something along the lines of, how did Judas get there? Because as far as I know, and if you follow the story of Judas, he, he walked around with Jesus. He was chosen by Jesus. He lived with Jesus. He had conversations with Jesus. He saw the amazing works of Jesus. He saw his amazing power and compassion. He has seen it all, experienced all. He was just like everybody else, yet he did this. Why did he do it? How did he get there? Now listen, I know, and you know, that one of the guys is struggling with this was Judas. Actually, verses 4 and 5 tells us that when, when Mary did this crazy thing for Jesus, they were indignant. The, actually, the word that he uses there is those. Some of those that were there were indignant. Because he wasted all this money, money that could have been used to help the poor people. Now, we don't know in this text whether or not that was Judas. But I could, actually believe, I could actually say that I think that Judas was the one that said it. You know, along with the other guys. The reason why I could say that is because four days prior to this event, there was another event very similar to this one. It's actually an event that Mary is present as well. And in this event, John chapter 12 says that Mary was there, Lazarus was there, Martha was there. And in this occasion, Mary brings her perfume. And he says the text that a pint of perfume she used to wash Jesus' feet. 
And then she dried his feet with her hair. See, if you read that too quick, we tend to believe that it's the same story. But John chapter 12 makes it really clear that that happened six days prior to the Passover. These events happen here two days prior to the Passover. Look, I mean, because we don't know what is Judah's motivation. John is going to help us with that. And look at what he says. That when Judah saw this, he objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Very similar to what he just said. It was worth a year's wages. Now listen to this. He did not say this because he cared about the poor. But because he was a thief. A skipper of money back, he used to help himself to what was put into it. You know what his business was? Is one for Jesus, one for me. One for Jesus, one for me. And with that understanding, then we come to verse 10. That it says that one of the twelve, meaning Judas, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him, what? Money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Listen to me. Judas was an extravagant lover. He knew how to love in an extravagant way. The difference between Mary and him is the object of their love or his love. For Mary, the object of his love is Jesus. For Judas, the object of his love is money and what money gives. You know what I find amazing? That nobody ever noticed that before. If you follow Judah's story, you, you will never find anybody, none of the 12 disciples, not even Jesus, not, not friends, nobody, saying something crooked about Judas. Except in these, two, in these two occasions. In other words, it was just like you and me. People that come to church, listen to the sermon, you know, read the word, worship, do all these things, just like you and me. Nobody ever noticed anything about that guy. Actually, it's so weird that at the Last Supper, and we're going to skip through all of that, but Jesus comes later on. It seems like if Judas does this, he sees what is happening with Mary. He gets all upset. He leaves the place, verse 10. He makes a deal with the religious leaders, and then later on, he comes back. And when he comes back, we're about to, they're about to celebrate the Last Supper. Now, this is weird. Pay attention here, verse 18. While they were reclining at the table, eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. There were Satan, and one by one said to him, Surely you don't mean me. That sounds like a, such, a lot, such a human thing to say. Not me. Verse 20, it is one of the twelve, he replied. One who dips bread into the bowl with me. Now, this is what is so scary to me. The most likely Judas did that. 
And Luke helps us understand, Luke 22, that, that he looks at Jesus and he says this. Uh, Matthew 26, surely you don't, mean, you don't mean me, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, you have said so. Now this is the scary thing. Nobody knew anything. Nobody saw anything. Nobody got up and said, oh, you know what? I think it's Judas. Where'd you get that brand new watch? <laughs> Nobody said that. He was just one of the guys. You know what the difference was? That he looked like a Christian. But his heart was somewhere else. He ate like a Christian. Christian food. His heart was somewhere else. His treasure was not Jesus. His treasure was something else. He was seeking after something else. Did you know that we could do the same thing? Did you know that we all have the potential to do exactly the same thing? You know how he got there? One coin at a time. He didn't go crazy. This is not just happened there. His heart has been walking away from Jesus one coin at a time. Every time he allowed himself to surrender to his ambition. His heart was farther and farther from Jesus. Every time he said yes... To his crooked heart, his affections from Jesus were replaced for an affection for something else. One coin at a time. This is dangerous. If you're a believer here this morning, I know that the Holy Spirit inside of you wants you to grow in such a way that you give it all for him. But at the same time, I know that your heart is fighting within you because you have also other treasures. I have other treasures. All the time. Look, I, I just used this example in the other service. We could have 1,500 people right now here, 1,000 people here right now. And every single one of you guys could say, Hannibal, that sermon, Amazing. And I would say, stop lying. <laughs> but one of them, or one of you comes and says, that was terrible, man. Go back to school. <laughs> Did you know that that one person ruins my day? I remember about the rest, 999, I remember that one person. And the first time I experienced that, God came to me in a really sweet voice in my heart and said, Where's your treasure? Because your heart is where your treasure is. Now you might want to say, Oh, Hannibal, how do, how do I know if I have this? How, how do I know if I struggle with this? Well, look at. I learned how to identify what is fighting 
for my affections for Jesus. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, what takes you sleep away. I don't know if you ever experienced that, is that, but sometimes in the middle of the night, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, I open my eyes and I start thinking about this specific person, this specific situation, this specific circumstance. And I give it to Jesus and I surrender to Jesus and for some reason I just can't let it go. You know why? That became my perfume. Number two, what takes your peace away? You could be completely happy, full of joy, complete peace. And there's a person, and person comes and takes, does something to you or takes something from you and your peace is gone. Number four, what makes you are uncontrollably upset? There's a righteous anger and there's a sinful anger. I'm talking about this one here. And last one, what is it that you celebrate the most? And for that, I want to give you a personal experience. A few years ago, my daughter, one of my daughters, the little one, comes to me uh, uh, with a drawing she did. And she goes, Papi, look at what I did. And I look at it and I say, oh, that's nice, baby. Put it there and continue. A few minutes after, I see her walking around with my iPad. That's serious business. And she drops it. And my reaction was not, oh, that's nice, baby. What are you doing? Don't you know that I preach with that? In a matter of seconds, God comes to me and tells me, what do you celebrate the most? Failures or victories? And if you're a parent here this morning, I really want you to check that. I really want you to check what is it that you celebrate the most. And if you're married here this morning, I want you to check that. What is it that you celebrate the most? Because whatever you celebrate the most, that's your treasure. That's your perfume. What is it that takes you to sleep away, you peace away, makes you uncontrollably upset, and you celebrate the most. What is it? Because whatever your treasure is, your heart is. The value we assign to something or to someone will determine what we are willing to give or give up for it, him, or her. But I think that part of our struggle is that we, we mix these things. And we are not honest enough sometimes to actually identify the things that are competing for our affections. So I have another illustration. So here's this young man that is madly in love with his new girlfriend. Madly in love. Now he knows that it's not wise or prudent to be alone in a place by themselves. Hint, hint. It's just not wise. 
But you know, he's so in love that he can't hold it. You know when love takes over you? He goes to visit the girl. And the girl says, no, 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 please come. Don't come in. You know, it's, it's crazy. We can't do this. He says, baby, you can't stop love. Love is uncontrollable, girl. And the girl believes it. And they, he goes in. In the middle of their romanticism, he hears the door. And he's the dad. And you know what he does? He gets up and starts running like crazy. And right before he leaves, the girl goes, Honey, I thought you loved me. He turns around and says, I do, but I love my life more. Whatever value you assign to someone or something will determine how much you're willing to do for her or for him or for it. We have that struggle within us. How do we break away from that? Seeing the extravagant love of Jesus. Understanding how much he loves you. Believing how much he loves you. And I'm going to go really quick with this. At the end of this passage, in verses 34 down, you find Jesus in Gethsemane. And it's one of the most overwhelming and crazy passages for me. Because he seems like if he's complaining about going to the cross. And at the end of verse 35, he says, If it is possible that, that this hour might pass from me. And in verse 36, he says, Papi, or Abba, Father, or Daddy, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And some people have taken that text to say that Jesus wanted out. That he did not want to get to the cross. That he didn't want to die in that place. But that's not what the text is saying. What the text is saying is that Jesus was fully human. Fully God and fully human. And he felt pain. And he felt hurt. And he felt being scared. But there's right in the middle of that section. When he deals with this stuff, he comes back to the disciples and he says this, verse 41. Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. The interesting thing about that word enough is that it has two meanings. One, that enough is enough. And two, to receive in full what is due or to paid in full. To be paid in full. You know what Jesus was doing? Right in the middle of his struggle, right in the middle of his pain and suffering, he decides to put it in a simple way to suck it up. He decides to get up and go to the cross and die in your place. He decides, even in the midst of fear, to go to the cross and take all the punishment for public and private sins, past, present, and future. Right at the cross. 
He did it all for a fragment of time, feeling completely lonely. For a fragment of time, not feeling the relationship with his father. For a fragment of time, knowing that he was completely, completely alone. He knew what he... He knew that he would experience the wrath of God. You know why he did? You know why he did that? Listen. Because you are his treasure. You are that treasure. Did you get that? He gave it all for you. That is the only thing that will control your heart when other things are fighting for your heart. That will be the only thing that is going to take you to the point that you could grab your most valuable perfume and say, I give it to you. That and only that. There's a Christian group that has a song that says, I count to the cost. Talking about Jesus. And you are worth it. That's our prayer today. We count to the cost. And Jesus is worth it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you. Knowing God Almighty that us being nothing became in Jesus something so valuable. So important to you. It was actually love, it was actually Lord that because you love us so much that you did what you did in you in your son Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you take us to the cross and you leave us there. I pray, Lord, that you take us to the cross in such a way that our affections are moved and transformed. And now, Father, because your word is powerful and changes lives. We want to be open this morning and continue to hear from you as we respond in worship through singing and through our giving. Out of gratitude for everything that you have done for us, through your son Jesus, we respond. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say...